Good morning, New Hope. You know, I'm so blessed. I was um, speaking to a number of people in the last couple of weeks after the service. Um, and, you know, we have people. How many, how, who, comes from the, who comes from the farthest place? Who, who's, who's from more than five kilometres from the church? Can I see your hands? Okay. All right. How about 10 kilometres? Anybody? 20 kilometres. 30 kilometres. Okay. We have some people that come to our church regularly from Riverhead. Do you even know where that is? <laughs> some people come from Hamilton to come to our church weekly. That is commitment. It's almost like Paul's walk when he was delivering the offering. That was a long commitment and walk. Anyway, Father, I just thank you so much that people love you so much and take you seriously. They want to know you more. They want to feel your heartbeat. They want to know your love. I pray today that by your Holy Spirit, you would work in our midst, change our thinking, change our attitudes and change us to be more like your son. And all the people said enthusiastically, amen. amen. Well, God bless you. If you're visiting for the first time, we want to say welcome. We're glad that you came. And if I speak too fast, don't worry, there are notes so you can follow along as backup, okay? Especially. So we're in part six of Transformed, a series we've been doing on, and, and the theme verse came from Romans 12 too. Don't conform to the image of this world, but be transformed, changed by what? The renewing of our? That really means the way that you think. So in other words, you were thinking this way and God wants to change you into thinking this way. You were thinking your your perspective has been shaped by the world and God says, no, I want you to leave that behind. Drop it. Give it the left foot of fellowship. Give it the boot. And I want you to think about it my way because my way is the truth. I am the way, the truth and the life, Jesus said. And that's why we're talking about changing the way you think. Now, for the last few weeks, we've been looking at seven dimensions of your life. We started off looking at spiritual transformation. Then the second week, we looked at physical transformation, then mental transformation, then emotional transformation. Last week, we looked at relational transformation, what we need to do to get through the fears that muck up our relationships. Now, there were two more left with to deal with. And today, I'm going to deal with the financial area. And next week, excuse me, the week after, no, next week I will do. I'm going to deal with your vocational area, work, how we think about work. So... Let's set the scene. Let's push the reset button. How many of you have had to reboot your computer because it got tied in a knot, right? <laughs> or your iPhone or your Android, right? We're going to push the reset button. Here it goes. Reset. Jesus talked more about money than heaven or hell. That's a shock. And I can prove it. Two. 11 out of the 39 parables that Jesus spoke, as recorded in the Bible, address the area of material possessions. 11 out of 39, do the math. 15% of all Jesus' recorded words of our Saviour were on this thing called money. That's a shock. And to be exact, 2,350 verses in our Bible are devoted to money 
and possessions. So my thesis to you today is Jesus has something to say on this issue and we need to open our ears and the Holy Spirit speak to us because clearly you have something to say. Now why these facts? Well, money has tremendous pull, tremendous influence in our lives. And let me say this up front. If you do not manage your money, it will manage you. It will drag you places you don't want to be. Today, I'm going to kick off by looking at the, one of the most misunderstood parables in the, entire, in the entire New Testament. And if you've got your Bible, I'd encourage you to whip over to Luke 16. If you haven't, you can follow me along the screen. And the reason why it's really confusing this parable, at first blush, is it appears to approve of flat-out dishonesty. It does not. I'll get to that later on. And Jesus here is using this clever crook as an example. Actually, he's actually using it to shock the people that are listening. He's using it for its shock value. So we're going to whip out Luke 16, 1 through 8. And it's a story of the shrewd manager. And Jesus said, There was once a rich man who enlisted a manager to take care of his property. But the manager was accused of wasting his master's possessions. So the owner called him in and said, you must now give me an account of your stewardship and report what you have done with what I entrusted you to you. Because your time as a manager is ending. In other words, you're about to get the sack. You're out of here. The manager thought, hmm, what am I going to do now? I'm losing my job, but I'm not strong enough to dig ditches. And I am too proud to beg. I know what I'll do. So that after I lose my job, I'll have plenty of friends to take care of me. So he called everyone who was in debt to his master and he asked the first man, how much do you owe my master? There's a problem there for a start because he should know that. How much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager said, okay, tear up that bill and write a new bill that says you only owe 400 gallons. Next, the manager found another debtor and asked him, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. And the manager said, okay, change your bill and say that you only owe 800. Just quick write down. The next, next, the manager told, found another, I've done that. Now, when the master heard what the dishonest manager had done, he still praised his shrewdness, his foresight, and his prompt action. Then he says, for worldly people are more shrewd in handling their affairs than are those who belong to the light. Now with that scripture reading, I want to make a few notes. Firstly, Jesus did not praise the man's dishonesty, but his shrewdness. He will never, ever endorse and condone dishonesty, ever. But number two, I want to point something very clearly out. You can still learn from other people and benefit from others without approving of everything that they do. 
If you can only learn from people who you 100% agree with, guess what? You ain't gonna learn from nobody. Have you talked to your wife lately? (laughs) Or your husband? Or your girlfriend? You do not have to agree with everything a person believes to learn from them. Now let me be clear, this guy is dishonest, wrong. And you don't wanna learn that part from him, is that clear? Okay. But there are some things that he did do right that you can learn from. And this is what Jesus is getting after. Now the other thing I want you to notice is the two reasons Jesus tells the story. First of all, whenever you see a parable, you need to understand the audience he's speaking to. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. Now Pharisees are, or were, one of the major religious uh, leaders or groups of leaders in Jesus' time. He had the Pharisees basically and the Sadducees. Now the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. (laughs) Boy, more sleep, you guys. The religious leaders were proud. They were arrogant. They were up themselves in the common vernacular. They were hypocritical and judgmental and laid burdens on people's back that they were not doing themselves. So Jesus loved, I better rephrase that before I say this. Let me just say he loved to shock them, to snap them out of their self-smug self-righteousness. But Jesus also had an ability to afflict the comfortable, which is what he's doing here, and at the same time comfort the afflicted. That's amazing that Jesus can do that. And he still does that today. And he's gonna do that this morning. Luke 16, 14. Why was he doing that? Because clearly the Bible says this, the Pharisees dearly loved money. So when they heard what Jesus said, they made fun of him. But Jesus told them, you're always making yourselves look good. But God sees what is in your heart. The things that most people think are important are worthless. As far as God is concerned, you may want to circle those last words. The things that most people think are important are worthless as far as God is concerned. Now that last phrase is the reason we're gonna look at what we're gonna look at today. The things that people think are important, God says they don't matter a hell of beans, they don't matter a scrap, zip, nil. They count for nothing. Now what do most people think about and value? Well, position, position in the company, possessions, how much you own, power and prestige, They value that. God says they matter nothing. Not a hill of beans. Sex and salary and status. Not a hill of beans. God says those things don't really matter. Those things aren't important in life. In fact, the NIV version of that last verse says to them, he said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves, dot, dot, dot. What is highly valued among men is detestable. Like, in God's sight. Did you hear that? What is highly valued among men is detestable. 
in God's sight. This is antithetical. And in this series, uh, so let's go there. In this series, we've been looking at the verse, don't conform to the world's pattern, what the world holds valuable. Don't fall into the standard of their culture, but be transformed. Change your thinking, he's saying here. So what, did God's, what God says is the exact opposite of what you have been taught on money. The exact opposite, 180 degrees. So Jesus is talking to these people who love money. And he says, you love money, doesn't matter. Hell of it. In fact, it's detestable in my sight. The love of money. The second reason Jesus tells the story is this. Many believers are poor money managers. What do you mean by that, Pastor Ian? Well, let me be real specific. So there's no misapprehension. Most believers don't have an emergency fund set up if they lost their job or lost their health that they could last for three to six months off. They haven't even got base one figured out. Number two, they've got little or no retirement savings. So they don't have to rely on their children. They can have some dignity and provide for themselves. Number three, many believers live hand to mouth. Or worse, they live beyond their means in houses far too big that they can't afford. And they wonder why they're broke. And it causes stresses on marriage and they work every hour that God sends and they're overextended with no margin in their life. And if you stood back and looked, what is that person doing? Well, they get up, they go to work. And that's all they do. You were made for more than that. You were made for more than that. Jesus had some say, things to say to us all about money. Luke 16:8. For the worldly people are more shrewd in handling their affairs than those who belong to the light. So this message is about how to manage your, manage your money well and how to think about money the way God does because that's the only person I really have to please, him and him alone. So regarding money, God wants you to learn biblical shrewdness and have 20-20 vision. So from the story, we're going to learn four things not to do with your money and five things to do and to remember about money. Four truths not to do from the story and five things to do. The first thing we'll learn from the story is this, what not to do with money. I'm going to do this real quick because I want to spend most of my time on what to do with it. Four things clearly not to do. Number one is don't waste it. The Bible says don't waste the money that God allows you to manage because it is not yours as we'll get to. Luke 16.2, the manager was accused of what? Of wasting. So here's the manager, you're wasting my money. It's not his. He was thinking it was his. He was wasting it. His master's possessions. Now if I go through the life with, it's my money, I've earned it, I can spend it any way which I want. Well, hang on, I gain this with my own hands. Yeah, well, who gave you your own hands? Who gave you your brain and your body and your energy and the life to enjoy and live? Who gave you that? And if you have that thinking, who cares? which many do, the truth actually is this is God's money and I don't want to waste his money. And it will change the way you think about it if you think yourself as a manager, not an owner. Number two, don't love it or live for it. Don't love it or live for it. Luke 16, 13 is very clear, black and white, very clear. 
No servant can serve two masters. Either, this is an either or choice, it's not both and. He will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If you think you can, you have a problem with God because they are God's words. He says it is impossible to do both. Jesus lays it out in black and white. He isn't vague about this. He's crystal clear. It is impossible to live with a divided allegiance. Some of you in this room know what it's like to try and work for two bosses. Now that, how does that work out? Not very good. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart and God wants your heart. Only one person can have your heart. You can't say my number one goal in life is to make lots of money out of one side of your mouth and the other side of your mouth, my number one goal is to love God with all of my heart. You can't do that. You're going to have to decide what's going to be number one. There is only one number one. You can't have two number ones. One will be subservient to the other. Now, to reflect on that, it is very easy for money to become number one G-O-D with a small g. The one that I give my first allegiance to. But God says, no, it's a mistake. Don't waste it. Don't love it. And thirdly, don't trust it for security. The manager learned this pretty quickly. <laughs> Luke 16, 3, he says this, what am I going to do now? I'm about to lose my job. Now, many of you in this room know what it's like at some stage in your life to lose your job and to be out of work. Not a nice feeling, huh? All of a sudden, there's no means of support, no sense of that sort of security anymore. But how many times in this church have I encouraged every single one of you to never put your security in something that can be taken from you. I mean, logically, you know that, but it's time now to take out that because what happens is our emotions get swayed. If you put your security in your appearance, I hate to tell you this, but over time, beauty fades. <laughs> and I think you know that. Looks fade. If you put your, uh, your security in your health, do you know that can change with a phone call? With a phone call. Then where are you? All at sea? If you put your security in your marriage, do you know that partner can be taken from you? In a multitude of ways. A crash. Be careful. Don't do that. Jesus is saying, these things you can lose in the loved one. In wealth, you can have it and then it's gone. If you really want to be secure, the centre of your life has to be built around something that can never be taken from you. And there's only one thing that can never be taken from you and that is God's love because it's not based on you, it's based on His unchangeable love. It's based on who He is. So you build your life on God's love and that relationship. See, the Bible says very clearly here in Proverbs 23.5, money can be gone in a flash as if it's grown wings and flown away like an eagle. Oh boy. Some people say that money talks. Well, I found it doesn't. It just walks away quietly. 
And then all of a sudden there's too much month left over at the end of the money. <laughs> so you don't love it. You don't trust it. You do not waste it. And number four, God's Word counsels us over and over, don't expect it to satisfy. That's a fool's errand. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says this, whoever loves money will never have enough. But whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied with his income. Excuse me, the word is and. And whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied. I remember the famous interview with Time Magazine with Howard Hughes. How much does it take you, would it take you to be happy? Are you happy now? No. What would it take for you to be happy, Howard? And you know his answer was? Just a little bit more. We always want human nature more than we have. And the Bible says clearly, friends, those who spend their lives obsessively seeking after money will never find happiness. Because money has empty promises. That's why Jesus says this, this next verse, Luke 2, uh, 12, 15. Guard against, guard. Guard against all kinds of greed. There are many kinds. That's another sermon itself. Because your life is not measured by how much you own. It is not. This is God saying, reset your thinking. It is not measured by houses and buildings and land and stocks and retirement. It is not. You're missing the point. This is worth nothing. This is like Monopoly money. Remember the last time we played Monopoly money? You finish, you pack it all up, all the houses and the hotels back in the box. Who cares? It matters nothing. See, the world says spin, 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 waste. The world says live for it, make it number one. The world says put your hope and trust in it and expect it to satisfy you. But the Bible says, uh uh, uh wrong. Don't conform to the world about any of these areas, but be transformed by the way you think, by the renewing of your mind. So I want us to see in the story now five biblical life transforming thoughts on money. Now, these are radical. But you know what? I, Jesus is radical. His message is radical. So they're revolutionary. They're countercultural. They're the exact opposite of everything you've been taught. So five countercultural truths about money from God's Word. Now, if these will do you no good at all if you just sit and listen to them. But if you say, Holy Spirit, is there something here for me? And these are His words then it will transform your life, both now and what I'm interested in is eternity. Because this is nothing. It's like a puff of smoke coming out of the kettle on a cold day. Like you breathe. That's how much the Bible says our life is like. So short. That is the correct perspective. First of all, every day, number one, I need to remember every day, it all belongs to God. You don't really own a thing. God owns everything. Everything that was ever created belongs to Him. The universe with its incredible 
you're running out of words. Just mind-boggling richness belongs to God. The world and all it contains, all the snapper. <laughs> They're all gods. And the scallops and the crayfish and the birds and the cattle and the beauty and the, and the majesty of what he's created for us. Now, it wasn't yours before you were born because last time I checked, you didn't come with a roller or clothes on. The same way you came in, you're going out with zippity doo da. It wasn't before, yours before you were born and it's not yours after you die. We just get to use it for a little while. It's all on loan whilst you're alive. What you think you own is really on loan. You may want to write that down. That'll help you. What you think you own is really on loan. So don't take it all so seriously in that sense of the word. In this story... The owner has all this property and he lets his manager take care of it. And today I want to tell you, Graham, you're in the management business. You are a manager. Willie, you are a manager. You're not a worker, you're a manager. We're all in the management business. You too, Stephen and Oliver. God has put some gifts under your management, Martin. And when you start thinking this way, it'll put it all in perspective. Verse one of the story. The owner enlisted the manager to take care of his property. Question, how well are you taking care of God's property that he's gifted to you to look after? Let's start with what we talked about a few weeks ago. How well are you taking care of the body that God gave you? Are you managing that well? Or have you sort of let that slide a little bit? No, that's not that important. Actually, it is. Too tired. Yeah, well, there's the whole message we should do and how to make more time for ministry because everything else crowds out. How about your time? How are you managing that? We've all got 24 hours a day, 168 hours a week. And we get to manage it different ways. How about your mind? Are you managing your mind and being a good steward of that mind? Are you developing that? Was it getting a bit stodgy? How are you, what about your talents? God has given you these. And it, I'm trying to give you the, what's going to be in the final exam so you can prepare for that. In other words, this, what are you doing with what God has given you? The rest of verse one says this. This guy was wasting his master's possessions. And the fact is, anytime I waste money, I'm wasting God's money. And if you change the way you think on this one, it will change the way that you buy stuff or don't buy stuff. So it's enough. Enough. Number one, it all belongs to God. Number two, the second truth I need to remember to transform my thinking is this. Every day, I need to remember this, God is using money to test me. Life is a test. Life is a trust. And life is a temporary assignment. A temporary assignment. Life is a test 
Life is a trust and life is a temporary assignment. This life is preparation for the next life, which will last for eternity. And one of the areas God tests your faithfulness on earth is in your finances. The way we handle finances has implications. Listen to this carefully. So nobody says, I missed that that day. The way you handle your finances has implications for eternity. God uses money to test me and clarify three things specifically. Three things. You may write these down. Three, what does it test? Three clarifiers. Number one is it shows me what I love most. How I spend my money reveals to God and everyone else what I love the most. I saw today an unspeakable individual who's trying to justify spending 65 million on a ridiculous plane, which he thinks is to be used for the gospel. How I spend my money reveals to God and to everybody else who's looking in on your life what you love the most. Doesn't matter what you say you love, whatever you love the most, you're gonna give your most time to and your most money to. It's very interesting. I have four children and I've noticed that when they fall in love, all of a sudden all their time goes to that interested party and a lot of money goes that way too. You see, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. So what I do with my money shows what I love most. Matthew 6, 19 says this, don't store up treasure here on earth. In other words, don't pile it up, don't hoard it. Instead, says, don't do that. Instead, store your treasure in heaven. And we'll talk about how to do that later. For wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Wherever you want your heart to be, you could turn that, reverse engineer that verse, you put your money in and that's what you get interested in. For example, some of you probably don't give a hill of beans about Microsoft right now. But if you bought 100 grand's worth of their stock, all of a sudden you'd be very interested in how they were doing. As a way of getting your attention, God deserves and insists on first place in my life. Whenever I live for my money, it becomes my master. Whenever I give my money, it becomes my servant. Let me just say that again. Whenever I live for my money, it becomes my master. And whenever I give my money, it becomes my servant. Second, it shows and clarifies what I trust most. Am I trusting in money for security? Or am I trusting in God for security? We could stop right there. Am I trusting in money for my happiness? Or am I trusting in God for my happiness? Am I trusting in money to make me feel good about me? Or am I trusting in God to make me feel good about me? It shows what I trust Him most. It's an acid test of my faith. And how do you get that? Well, look at Proverbs eleven twenty eight, straight from God's word. If you trust in money, you will fall. But if you trust in God, you'll flourish like a green tree. Third, it sh- and this shows what the story is about. It shows if God can trust me. And that's a good one. 
This is the reverse. It doesn't just show if I trust God, it shows if God can trust me. Because out of control finances reveal an out of control life. Let me say that again. Out of control finances reveal an out of control life. And the next verse says, are some of the most important truths in the entire Bible on the topic of money. I mean, today's message is a drop in the ocean of the truth on this. But Luke 16, 11 says this, listen carefully. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, that means you're not a good manager, if you're spending more than you make, if you're not saving for the future, if you're not investing, if you're not giving back to God what's His, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with somebody else's property, who will give you property of your own? So right now, you don't own anything down here on earth, and neither do I. But let me tell you this, in heaven, God wants to give you your own stuff that will last for eternity. He wants to bless you for eternity, but God says, if I can't trust you with what little is on loan to you, why should I give you more? Now Jesus says, how I handle the money shows me my maturity as a manager. People talk about mature Christians. One of the first signs I know for sure, because you tell a tree by its fruits, is how they handle money. Are they generous towards God and to His purposes to see people come to know Christ? Third important truth. And they all build on each other. First, it all belongs to God. Second, God is using money to test me. And third, money is a tool to be used for God's purposes. Makes sense. He owns it. Money is a tool to be used for God's purposes. Luke 16, 9. I tell you, now look at this. Use. You may want to circle that word. Use your worldly wealth. The Bible says to use money and to love people. We we get in trouble as we get that reversed. We love money and we use people. Money is a tool to be used for God's purposes. We are to use it. Not worshipped, not loved, but used. He's saying use temporary resources for permanent good. Now there are many ways to do that. Some real practical ones, which may shock you. First one is use money to save time. You'll only get a certain amount of time. That's it. You always get more money, but you can't get more time because the Bible says you were born on this day and you know exactly the day. That's a fixed amount of time that has been allotted to you in this life. Use money to save lives. Use money to do good. Use money to honour God. So let's look at what Jesus liked about the shrewd manager now. Uh, again, the state of being redundant, at risk of being that, I want to say again, it was not his dishonesty. 
Because this manager writes down one guy's debt by 50%, another one by 20%, without the owner's permission. So we're not getting after that. By the way, why did he do that? Because, of course, then he felt, well, then they'll think kindly after being given the boot when I'm unemployed. Now, his plan was wrong and dishonest, but he did do three things right. And this was the point of the parable. Number one, he looked ahead. Verse three says, what am I going to do now? Most people never look ahead when it comes to their finances. They're living for today. They're so wrapped up in now and the tyranny of now. The Bible says in Proverbs 14.8, the wise man looks ahead and a fool attempts to fool himself and won't face the facts. Well, I can absolutely guarantee you that there will be a day when you step over from life and off this terra firma. That's a fact. And the Bible clearly tells us what's going to happen there. A wise man looks ahead, fool attempts to fool himself and won't face the facts. What financial facts are you not willing to face? Let's just talk about that one there. No emergency fund and a little retirement. How are you doing on those? How are you doing? Have you worked out the numbers? Work backwards, very simple. All you do, if you want to live on $40,000 a year after you retire, whatever the number may be, you work it backwards. If I need 40 grand to live, how much money do I have to have saved? To do that, it's say depreciating that by 4% a year. That'll give you a number of exactly your target. How can you hit a target you don't know? If it's 45,000, well, you adjust that. Very simple, basic mathematics. But if, what would that be a year 13 guy could do? But you need to do that. The point is, this guy was looking ahead. What facts do you need to face up to in your finances? Number two, Jesus was also commending the fact that he actually made a plan. Verse four, I know what I'll do. Now my question to you today is, how do you know if you have a financial plan? Well, it's simple. In this church, if you've been around here very long, you'll know that's called a budget. A budget is where you tell your money where it's gonna go, not wondering where it's gone. It's also telling it where you're going to spend your money and where you're going to give your money. That's part of the plan. Plan giving. Again, the Bible says here we should make our plans counting on God to direct us. Number three, he gets committed also because he acted quickly. He acted quickly, he didn't procrastinate. And say, ah, oh, stick his head in the head and sound like an ostrich. He didn't delay. Verse five and six, he gets his plan in motion. Not, oh, well, Sunday I'll get my finances in order. He got on it. Luke sixteen four. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. This is the very thing that Jesus commands, the thinking ahead. He thinks ahead and he makes a plan and then he executes that plan. Now, I want to be real clear in case I wasn't as clear as I could have been. Jesus is not talking here about retirement. He's talking about the long view, the other side of death. 
Are you spending it all here? And wasting it all here? Or are you storing up any treasure in heaven? That's the long range plan. How are you doing with that one? It's pretty easy to look it up. I use Quicken. And then there I can see exactly to the cent how much I've given this last year to different projects or my wife and I have given the different things the last year, two years, five years, ten years, twenty years back to the cent. It's part of the plan. Now this is radically countercultural because the culture says, hey, you need this new thing, you need that new thing, spend it all now. Now this next truth is really countercultural because Jesus said, it's so I have to teach it to you. Some things I wish Jesus didn't say, so I didn't have to say this to you. But he said it. So to be a faithful pastor, I have to say this. The best use of your money is to use it to get people to heaven. Is getting people to heaven. Luke 16.9 I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, our saviour, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. That's building relationships. So that when it is gone, they will welcome you into your eternal dwelling. Now, does that shock you? It is not saying you can buy your way into heaven. No way. It is not saying you can purchase eternal salvation. That's given by grace freely to you. It means to use your money to build relationships that will last forever. In other words, use your affluence for good influence is what he's saying. Just like the manager used the money today to make friends of the future, when I use money to help people meet Jesus, I make friends for eternity, one. And I gain rewards in eternity. Notice it says here, welcomed into you. That's, can you imagine the scene? People saying, we're here because you gave and that church was used and I gave my life there and I'm here because you used the Lord's money for His purposes. If, you, if it weren't for you and the way that you used that money, we wouldn't have heard. We wouldn't have heard through those people. We wouldn't have been saved from poverty through those people who came and fed us and shared the gospel with us. So question this morning, are you using any of your money for that kind of thing? Or are you wasting it on things that won't matter a hell of beans? Is Is anybody going to be in heaven because of the way that you used and deployed your resources? I know one of my brothers, Mike, um, missionaries um, who taught normally don't have a brass razoo because they live in the smell of an oily rag, but yet through their faith and they pulled everything they had, they gave a camp. Through that, hundreds of thousands of people have been touched and brought into the kingdom. See, it's not a sin to be rich. I just want to put in your mind, it's probably a sin to die rich. Is anybody going to heaven because of the way you use the money and the resources and the time that you have, same as I have, that God's entrusted to you. How do you store up treasure in heaven? By investing in people who are going there. Simple way to do that. Maybe you have a friend 
who's struggling with this, but open to Christianity. Just go to the Christian bookshop and pick him up a solid Christian book. Because there's a lot of non-solid, wobbly, shaky, dubious Christian books. Make sure it's good and it points them to Jesus. Maybe you go buy them a Bible out of your resources that you've been that you're managing. Because that is attending to God's purposes. You've just stored up treasure in heaven by doing that. Or maybe you go help a support program that shares the good news around the world. When you do that, you have stored up treasure in heaven. When you help build and strengthen the church, like New Hope or any other church that helps someone get to know God in a personal way, you have just stored up treasure in heaven. Maybe when you use your resources to help the poor, you have stored up treasure in heaven. It's the highest and best use of the resources because you're sending it on ahead. Next, number five. One day, I'll give an account to God. And you and I will stand before God for a life audit. Now, our church has got people at all ends of the economic spectrum. Some who get nothing but, what do you call that these days? The domestic purposes benefit. We used to call it the dull in my day. You've got some who are millionaires. All sorts, and everybody, and the rest of us in between. That's what we've got in this church. Some very poor, some very rich, and some of us, most of us, in between. But here's the point. It doesn't matter whether you've got a lot or a little. What matters is what you're doing with what you've got and what you've been given. Luke 16, 2 says this. Now, you must give an account to me of your stewardship and report what you've done. Not what you intended to do, what you've done. With what I entrusted you, because your time as a manager is ending. Now, one day, your time as a manager on earth is going to end. Because you weren't meant to live on this earth forever. And the point is that God has entrusted assets to you during your time here as a manager. And he's watching to see if you're being faithful or unfaithful. You're not going to be here forever. And one day, your management career is going to be over. Romans 14, 12 says this. Yes, each of us will have to give a personal account. A personal account to God. Last principle. Number six. If I'm faithful with a little, God can trust me with much, much more. Luke 16, 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little. I know some people in this church alone. And it's the same whether I'm in America or in Australia or England. Some of those people learn very little, but they're faithful with what they've been given. Incredibly faithful. Let me just finish this first. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And who is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Let me also put, if you would allow me, whoever is irresponsible with little will be irresponsible with much. Are you using 
money in such a way that God says, I want to give that person more? Are you using your time in such a way that, uh, that, the, that God will be pleased with the way you're using your time for good influence? Now, this principle applies in every area of life with your talents, with your influence, with your responsibility, and with your money. So manage it wisely and it'll increase. Matthew 25, 29. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. So faithfulness, the Bible is saying here, in little ways produces faithfulness in big areas. Now there was a big misconception. Please hear me on this one. Some people have got this false, it's almost like a trap that the enemy will use to paralyze you. And it goes, the thinking goes like this, which is a lie. Well, when I make it big, I'm going to be generous. When I make it big, then I'm going to tithe. Let me say this as honestly as you can. No, you won't. You need to learn to start giving when you have very little. When you're a university student, develop that habit for your trustworthiness. You see, for Christians... Money is always a means of service, never an ultimate goal. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Let's just do a a little personal evaluation today. I want you to ask yourself some questions. First, Does God really have first place in my life? Or is something else first place in my life? Maybe it's my career. Am I managing the dollars that God has entrusted to me well right now? Am I managing the opportunities that God has given me well? I've lost focus. Am I managing my life well? My health and everything else that God has given to me as a gift, and I'm just a custodian. Does the way that I'm using my money for God show that I can be trusted with more? And how much am I investing for eternity? Will anybody be in heaven because of the way that I'm using my money? Penetrating questions. Why don't you join me in prayer and just say, Dear God, I don't want to waste money. Just say that in your mind. God, I don't want to waste your money. I don't want to love it. And I certainly don't want to be living for it and making it number one. I don't want to trust it for my security and I don't want to expect it to satisfy because Lord, I know it'll just disappoint. God, help me to remember every day that it all belongs to you. That I don't really own anything and it's all just a loan from you. And when I'm gone, you're going to loan it to somebody else after I die. God,
God, I want to manage well. The resources and the time and the talent and the opportunities and the contacts to show that I love you most. To show that I trust you for security, not in my bank account. Holy Spirit, X-ray my life. Examine the way that I'm using the money that you've trusted to me. Help me to remember that it's just a tool for your purpose. Help me to do what this manager did right. He knew the end was coming and he looked ahead. Holy Spirit, help me to make a plan that lines up to your purposes. Help me to act quickly and not to procrastinate. Because Lord, you've said that the best use of money is to help people get to heaven. That's storing up treasure in heaven. Lord, you've also said that those that give to the poor are lending to you. And I know that you're no man's debtor. I want to use some of my money to do that. Because I know that one day I'll have to give an account to you for how I used my life and what I did with what I was given. And you said that where my treasure is, my heart will be also. So God, I want to give you my heart again today. Some of you may want to say, Jesus Christ, I don't understand it all. But as much as I know how, I ask you to come into my life. I want a relationship with you, not a religion. I want to learn to know you more and to love you and to serve you and to sense your love every day of my life that I, my mind may be changed and transformed by your love. I pray this in your powerful and glorious name. And all the people said,